You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are igniting the imagination of leaders through purposeful, life-giving conversations about the five muscles the body of Christ must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information about the five muscles, visit tmf-fdn.org and click Leadership Ministry. Welcome back to Igniting Imagination. I'm Lisa Greenwood, and joining me for our episode today is none other than Scott Sharp and Blair Thompson-White, my exercise buddies again to do more strength training with these five adaptive muscles. Welcome, you two. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Before we introduce our guest today, let's say a word about what we mean by walking alongside or neighboring. Maybe we start with the micro. Any good stories you have about like your literal neighbors that may help us step into this idea of neighboring? Yeah, so I can share about our first neighbor as a married couple. Uh, We moved into this little rent house and met our neighbor next door who was 91. His name's Billy. And, you know, he... He's an amazing woodworker. That's his retirement hobby. And so um, he gave us so many gifts throughout our two years living next door to him. He made us a toilet paper holder, which was very cool. We still use it. You know, he made us a little stamp holder where we could uh, put a book of stamps in there. It has, it's actually a dog house that you put your stamps in and it had our dog's name on it. But the really cool gift that he made for us was uh, he gave us garden tools that he put together. So like a rake and a hoe and he put our names on them and what day we were married. And I mean, these are things that we're going to have forever and use and remember Billy. And he was always there to offer us any kind of helping hand that we needed. And certainly we had a lot to learn in terms of how to take care of a house. And he always come over and help us with with all these little projects, give us advice. And so I guess for me, it was such a great experience of seeing someone's gifts and then so generously offering them to us. And and, and so we still go back and see Billy. He still services our lawnmower. Um, so we see oh, him great. a couple times a year and um, and just talk about somebody that is still willing to give and care for others and again, use what he knows. He was an engineer, I think on airplanes for a long time. So he's just taken that and, and used it now in his retirement to, to bless people like us. So um, so just a shout out to a great neighbor in Billy. That's a great story, Blair. I, I did hear a good story uh, and, and it kind of teaches us about sort of the proximity of neighbor. Uh, during the during the shutdown, when people were really kind of being in their homes and staying away from other folks, uh, a pastor told me that his child had watched uh, an episode of a cartoon in which uh, they were making cookies and taking it to neighbors. And so the, 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 the little girl said, well, we should do that. And so they made cookies and they went to their neighbors. And when they knocked on the door of their literal next door neighbor, they came out and they got to talking and said, well, what do you do? Well, I'm the pastor at such and such church. And the person said, oh, that's where I'm a member of a church. <laughs> and, and, you know, oh, it's a large church, a lot of people and all that kind of stuff. But, sure. you know, they, they got to meet because of that just act of generosity, but also an act of hospitality. But, you know, it's also one of those, it, it's a story that illustrates the complexity of what we call neighbor in our day and age. Oh, those are great examples of literal neighboring So we've looked at the micro. Now let's go to the macro level. 
why is this idea of neighboring or walking alongside so important for the church right now? And why is it one of our five adaptive muscles? The first thing that comes to my mind is um, is a line from one of our creeds that we use that says, we are not alone. We live in God's world. The notion of walking alongside speaks to me because uh, it just seems like so many people feel alone. Um, and you know how how can we as the church uh, really literally embody being willing to be a walking partner with somebody, uh, both spiritually uh, but physically? You know, just helping people engage in the world in ways that are positive in terms of re- relationships and belonging and meaning and and going through the ups and downs and inside outs of life. Yeah, it's so good, and I mean, it's just it's so rooted in our theology and in our particular Wesleyan bent on everything. So I guess for me, I think of incarnation and how we see that that God uh, is embodied in in human beings. And so how can I see God at work in my neighbors, uh, getting to know them and, and seeing their gifts? I mean, when I, when I learned that lesson of the invitation to see God in my neighbors, I mean, that changed everything for me. So, so no longer some of those distinctions that we sometimes put on each other, you know, the like whatever your politics is, your religion is, like all that kind of fades away. And I just get to know them as a human being and, and really begin to look at like, okay, what are the gifts God has put in this person that I get to experience now in their presence? And so that has really changed everything for me. And I guess particularly too, as Wesleyan bent theologians here, we really have a, a real deep history of going into our neighborhoods and, and being a part of what God is doing there. And that, that's really it. It's It's not we're not taking God to the neighborhood. We are participating with God and what's already happening. And so those kinds of um, ideas have just been transformative for me personally in my spiritual journey. I think it's worth noting that this became one of the adaptive muscles we named because of the shifts that are happening in the church and how at one point, well, for a long time, we have really thought in terms of how do we get people into our doors? And more and more churches are asking a different question. They're saying, what does it mean for us as a congregation to be a neighbor in our neighborhood, right? And so, it's, yes, it's about each of us individually and thinking about our next door neighbors and on either side of us and you know, across the street and such. But it's also a mindset for the congregation to think about what does it mean to be a neighbor in in their neighborhood, in their community. So Scott, I have to say this interview with Adam Barlow Thompson you did was so honest and energizing and so practical, actually, and inspiring for folks who are interested in neighboring but have no idea where to begin. So let me give Adam's bio and a few sentences about the organization he leads called Neighboring Movement. And then, Scott, I'd love to hear from you what stood out uh, from your conversation with Adam. Adam Barlow Thompson is a graduate of Southwestern College and Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. He served for six years as the executive pastor at Woodlawn United Methodist Church in Derby, Kansas, and created a process communication model-based worship service called Swerve. Now, Adam is 
a certified trainer and provider of process communication model, um, servants by design, and leading out of drama. In 2016, Adam left the local church to become a full-time trainer and facilitator and to support the nonprofit Neighboring Movement, which he founded with his wife Ashley and their neighbors. The Neighboring Movement believes the best way to create vibrant, thriving communities is by first creating neighborly relationships, connecting people just like you with others whose skills, passions, and causes can change the world for good. Adam loves playing banjo and laughing loudly. And I mentioned that from his bio because you'll hear him reference his banjo playing in the interview. He can be seen around the neighborhood playing music on the front porch or riding his bike to the office. Adam is always up for a story or a laugh and is an eternal optimist when it comes to his neighborhood. He's married to Ashley and they have a son named Prescott. So Scott, what stood out to you from your conversation with Adam? When I had the chance to talk with Adam, what hit me was he doesn't talk about neighboring as a theoretical conversation. He talks about neighboring because that's what he does and that's where he lives and that's how he lives. And he doesn't just talk about it in romantic terms. He talks about it in frustrating terms and he talks about it in, in, in personally frustrating terms. I mean, he tells a story about a neighbor who has this ridiculously loud motorcycle and he wants to kind of confront him and talk about it. And the neighbor says, yeah, I'm going to make it louder. I mean, you know, and, and that might get old at two o'clock in the morning or whatever. But I, I think that just really draws out how, how you said, you know, Lisa, he's an eternal optimist about his neighborhood. And that is so obvious. And I, I have to tell you that that was, that was, that was confrontational to me because I'm not. Yeah. You know, something that just really stood out to me is his focus on gifts the gifts of neighbors uh, looking for the gifts. And I, again, I mentioned that at the very beginning with my neighbor, Billy, and, um, and, and then the kind of theological orientation of the gifts of, of each person. But I, I really, I love how he draws us into the church's responsibility to use people's gifts well. And, and frankly, we just haven't done that. You know, we oftentimes, it's just like, all right, I got to get five people for this committee. Who can we get? And, uh, <laughs> and there's not a lot of discernment in terms of, you know, who has the gifts and the passion for this particular thing. And he really invites us to look critically at, at how we invite people to use their gifts. And I think that feels so important right now. I think post-pandemic, people have zero tolerance for wasting time. We just yeah. don't. I mean, we've all kind of been through this existential look at our lives. How do we spend our time, our work time, our church time? So don't ask me to be on a committee that is going to just drain my energy and take my time. So this feels really important uh, to be talking about right now. If I would share one last thing about this interview is that Adam makes this, he starts it simple. Find eight doors to knock on. You know, you don't have to solve the world's problems. You don't have to solve all the problems of your neighborhood. Just knock on eight doors and say hello. So good. So good. Let's listen to your conversation with Adam. Well, great to be with you. Uh, this is Adam Barlow Thompson from Wichita, Kansas. And Adam, great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about these muscles that we're inviting the church 
to uh, exercise and expand. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about walking alongside. And Adam uh, knows a lot about that because he is the founder of the Neighboring Movement in Wichita, Kansas. Adam, welcome. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Now, in Wichita, do you ever eat at the Doodah Diner? Oh my God. I love the doodah diner. I mean, I don't go there often because like you, it takes like a week recovery time once you, when you eat there because it's so like rich and wonderful. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. When a jurisdictional conference was there a few years ago, uh-huh. it was so funny to watch like all these pastors go in and then they would walk out in these food comas and then they'd go yeah. back to vote <laughs> on who would be a bishop. It was so interesting. Yeah. Like that, Perfect. that, that factor needs to be weighed in terms of who gets elected. <laughs> So, yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Oh, man. So, Adam, why is neighboring important? That's a great, great question. So, we think that, I mean, I, I genuinely think that neighboring has the power to not only strengthen our communities, but change us as people, as individuals. And so, what has been so incredible to me, I mean, to be honest, one of the reasons I started the neighboring movement was that I was a burnt out church goer. I mean, yeah, I was paid to go to church because I was the pastor, but I was a burnt out church goer. And I felt like I was going to church and trying to find God in those, in that setting and just not connecting in the way that was super authentic to who I was or wh- what I needed in that moment. And so the the thing that, that changed for me was with a group of friends who were all kind of co-founders of the neighboring movement said, let's just like try to be good neighbors and see if that connects more with us as authentic way to live out our faith. And almost immediately it was like, holy crap, Jesus is on my block. Like Mm. I didn't have to go to church actually. Like God is out here doing stuff all the time with these people who don't go to church and who have no interest in going to church and who I'm never going to invite to go to church actually. (laughs) And so, and, and discovering that and just like the, the relationships with these neighbors who are, who are my actual literal neighbors was what gave me the motivation to the men to, to then go and, and expand this and, and invite people into it in many, in many different ways so that we could share that experience and get people to, because I think there's a lot of us who are in that same spot where it's like my routine of going to church has kind of reached a limit where I don't know what's next and I need to find a more genuine and authentic way to be faithful. Wow. So there's a really a lot of powerful why there. So thanks for mm-hmm. sharing that. I mean, it just connecting with people and finding room outside the church. It's just, I mean, there's complexity of that that's uh, just really powerful. And I think a lot of people are experiencing. But one yeah. of the things that I, I really want to ask you about, and you, you've blogged about this. So over the last uh, little bit, we've been interviewing some folks. And one of the things that kind of keeps coming up is this notion of a shared meal. Mm. That's how people are connecting. And and on the mm-hmm. one hand, it's like this beautiful thing, like, oh, we're making soup. You bring something to share along with it. But then there's this moment when I'm away from that conversation and I think, I can hear it now. Well, I'm a vegan. I'm a vegetarian. I'm keto. <laughs> I'm paleotarian. I only uh-huh. eat meat and it has to be organic, cage-free. So it it reminds me that even making a soup 
is complicated. And you've blogged about yeah. how if you if you want to live drama free, then don't be a neighbor. So could you talk about <laughs> what it means to be a neighbor and really immerse oneself into the drama that is life? Yeah. I mean, this is the thing about Christians is that we really like Jesus's message of love your neighbor. We really like it better as a metaphor than we like <laughs> it as like a reality. Um, and, you know, as a metaphor, it just means like kind of be nice to people and like, don't, don't like bother folks too much. You know, I've, one of the, one of the times I went to preach at a church and my, our whole thing is about go and meet your actual literal neighbor in the children's time before I preached the woman who was doing the children's time, who was just trying to be faithful and teach what she's been taught her whole life sure. gets up and is like, who's our neighbor? Well, it's everyone and everything and the earth is our neighbor and all of this stuff is our neighbor. And I mean, like, yes, there is, there's truth in that metaphor, but then, you know, I got up to preach to basically say, what I don't, I want you to forget everything that she said and think about (laughs) your actual literal neighbor, the person who lives next to you. And there's some accountability to loving your actual literal neighbor that doesn't happen when you turn it into a metaphor. Because your actual literal neighbor may not have the same political sign as you and may, you know, play loud music when you wish they wouldn't because you have a new baby who want, really would prefer to sleep at that time. Or, you know, has my, my neighbor has this motorcycle that is the loudest machine on the planet and i went and i said craig that thing's really loud he goes oh just wait i got new mufflers coming in it'll be even louder next week and i'm like oh great perfect so those are our our real neighbors right and like when jesus says to love your actual neighbor and it means those people it puts a face and a name to it and it puts us in a real physical place that requires real physical action and that part of it is, is I think, what challenges people and, and brings out that, that drama of neighboring because it is hard. And there are, there are neighbors who it's more difficult. And we encourage people, like, if you're just thinking about starting this, don't start with the most difficult neighbor on your block. Like, you don't need <laughs> to start there. Like, start with people who are natural allies that have, you have a natural affinity to and go and meet them and bring them in. And then, you know, when, as, as your relationships grow, neighbors who are kind of on the periphery will see that and be brought into it. We have a neighbor, we knocked on this neighbor's door and one of my partners knocked on the door and he, he literally slammed the door in her face. Right. And just was like, had no interest. And a year later, this, she was out helping the next door neighbor do a garden project and he came outside and was like, Hey, I want to help with this. What's going on? And she's just kind of standing there. Like you remember that you slammed the door in my face, right? Like that, that happened, but he really, I don't think he genuinely, I don't know that he did remember. And what happened was he connected about something he cared about because he cares about gardening. And when he connected from the place of his own interest and his own gifts, he was all in and ready to go. And so it's kind of a long haul, but this is the thing 
about why we ask people to really think about where they actually live and neighbor there is that you live there usually for more than, you know, living somewhere is a long haul activity. <laughs> and so, so it's okay that it might take a while. Yeah. And I appreciate, I mean, the, the whole, no, the notion of gardening is a great metaphor for that because it takes so much work in terms mm-hmm. of preparing the soil and all that kind of stuff. And you just never know what you're going to get. So I, you know, appreciate you weaving That's that right. in there a little bit. And I can only imagine what, you know, the neighbor down the street from you says about the banjo player. Oh yeah, yeah, nice guy. I love the good banjo <laughs> dig there. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry, absolutely. Because I don't just because I don't just play the banjo. My favorite place to play the banjo is on my front porch, and so <laughs> I am awesome. always on the porch playing banjo as loud as I can. Yeah, so my neighbors <laughs> probably have a little complaint or two about me as well. <laughs> well, that's so awesome. Well, so one of the other fascinating things I'm curious about your perspective on then is um, also the notion of where social media plays into the whole neighboring mm-hmm. movement. I mean, I mean, obviously yeah. you use that as a, as a vehicle to talk about neighboring, but how does that... Mm-hmm. It does is it an asset? Is it a liability in terms of how actually people live and neighbor with one another? Yeah, that's a great question too. So we've we you know there's lots of things out there. There's a app called the Next Door, which um, a lot of communities across the country use to connect with people who actually live next to them through social media. A lot of people will have a Facebook group for their neighborhood or some other kind of common, you know, social media platform that is grouped by their neighborhood. And all of those tools, I think, are great when they're used basically to organize in-person events where you're Uh, gathering together. The problem with social media is that it often becomes just a platform for complaining about stuff without any personal engagement on those things. And so... Our version of neighboring, we focus on what, on assets, what people like, what people are enjoying about the community, what strengths they bring to the table. And often in social media, those things are not what gets the attention, right? Instead of those positive things getting attention, it's usually negative things that are getting attention. And so we encourage people to have a way to connect with their block whether that be a text message group or an email group or a Facebook group or even on Nextdoor, that's great. It's important to have that kind of line of communication open. But it is difficult for social media to be just the only way you're connecting with people is rarely the best option. So, so encouraging people to use those tools but to use them to plan the block party, you know, use them to pl- say, Hey, I'm going to, even if it's not a block, like we, we have a low bar for block parties. So some people, <laughs> some people hear block party and they're like, now I got to call the city and block off my street and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. Block party is some chairs in your front lawn. That's it. <laughs> like, you know, you don't even have to have food if you don't want, but if it's pretty easy to add a couple bags of chips and some hot dogs <laughs> and then call it a block party. So, so we, we encourage people to use them, but really just as communication tools. 
Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, that, that couple of books several years ago, Bowling Alone and The Vanishing mm-hmm. Neighbor, and all talk about this notion of moving toward more isolated life while having this sort of virtual, expansive life. And so it sounds yeah. like you guys are really inviting people to do something quite contrary to that. Do you feel like the neighboring movement then is subversive or countercultural or how would you put it categorized wise? I mean, subversive. I don't know. Jeez. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I think in a way it is. And in a way it also is connecting with something that's universal in all of us. And so we, so we, we are kind of guiding principles. So neighboring means that we are relational, abundant, and joyful. And being a movement means that we do things that are simple, doable, and universal. And in many ways, like, we're not, we're asking you to go meet your neighbor. Like, that is such a simple task. Everybody is a neighbor. Everybody has a neighbor. When I say neighbor, someone or some house conjures in your mind because it's like, it's a real place. And so in in many ways, there's nothing subversive about that. It's just go meet your neighbor. But in in the same hand, right, it's like, but also how weird is it to (laughs) knock on that door of a person that you don't, like who knocks on your door these days? Nobody knocks on my door because it's, I mean, you know, the FedEx guy delivering my (laughs) my Amazon package. He doesn't even knock on the door. Like he takes a picture of the package and texts me. It's crazy. We don't, we don't do that. So like, yeah, Yeah. there is this like very uh, countercultural thing about it. And what we found is, and this is backed up by research actually, that even though people have that initial fear of knowing their neighbor and going to the door, most people want it. So we hmm. want the connection, even though we're not doing it. Our behavior is not following our desire in many ways. And so mm-hmm. the State Farm actually did a whole research project around neighboring, and they found that, and I don't, I'm not going to quote the actual numbers because I'll forget them, but you can look up State Farm, the state of neighboring, I think is the name of the study. And it, it has this whole thing about how like people want to be welcomed into their neighborhood if they're new. People want to connect and do neighborhood activities. And then the same people, they ask, have you participated in any of these things or have you welcomed somebody? And it's like, no, I didn't. I want it, but I didn't do it. And so a lot of what we're doing is just just getting people that the like simple tips and like practical advice to do the thing that they know in their like core is probably good and that they really maybe already have a desire to do. And yeah. then just giving them that little shove to go and do it. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I I really appreciate you talking about that. And it it is ironic that State Farm would do that sort of survey because if they find out information that's contrary to their logo, they're in trouble, right? (laughs) That's right. Like a good neighbor, State Farm doesn't knock. I mean, they'd have to change their whole tagline and everything. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, but I'm curious because, you know, the way you describe that and, and people want something, but they don't necessarily want to do it. It That sounds mm-hmm. a lot like what happens at church, you know, right. uh, happen, yeah. institutions yeah. at large, right? Um, yeah, right. 
but one of the things I'm really curious about is, so do you feel, or in your work, have you got that kind of conversation with churches about, yeah, but how does this get people to come to church, this neighboring movement? Oh, yeah. That's kind of yeah, the... for sure. There is that desire, that like? and it's a, yeah. There's that desire, and it's a good desire for people to want to you know have folks come to their church. But we start from the beginning by saying, so the good neighbor experiment is our church curriculum. It's a nine month church training that we you know help churches figure out how to be good neighbors, and we vary our upfront and our branding. This is not a church growth program. This is not a church growth program. And if you are trying to grow your church in like that kind of stereotypical numerical way, this may not be the best fit for you. And what instead we're trying to do is we're trying to add these qualities of relationship, abundance, and joy into your congregation. And what that means is in a lot of settings, and this is not universal for all churches, but what in a lot of settings we move from programs to relationships. And we move from scarcity to abundance, and we move from inauthenticity to joy. And so to kind of play that out, I like to use the example of the annual turkey supper, <laughs> because a lot of churches have this event or fill in the blank of what it is for you, right? So the annual turkey supper is the event that you've been doing for everybody knows forever. And there's a team that plans it, and they all are miserable about it. <laughs> You know, all of the church volunteers on the annual Turkey Supper team, they, they're so grumpy and they're so angry and they're like, oh, it's annual Turkey Supper again. And they get up for their announcement time a couple months before and they say, if you guys don't sign up for this, I don't know if we can do it. Like, this is our event. We've been doing it for years. And if y'all don't sign up, then it's going to, I just don't know. And, and that doesn't build really, and, and the whole thing is the annual Turkey Supper is supposed to be an outreach event where you like bring in folks from outside the community to come and eat the turkey supper at your church and somehow that's going to grow your church <laughs> and and it ends up being just like you know arm twisting and guilt and shame about like if we don't do this and and that program based where you have a scarcity of resources, a scarcity of volunteers, and it doesn't even feel authentic to what your people want to do. So you're getting, you know, these people who have interest in hobbies that they love, but you're forcing them to just fit into the box of what they need to pull off the turkey supper, right? And all of those things are where we get stuck as church. And mm -hmm. I, I don't want to like, like make anybody feel bad about their church ministry. You, I was trained to do it just like that. You know, that's exactly where we are and we need to reinvent ourselves some. And so instead, what we are asking people to do is to focus on relationship, which means that you may not have as much time for your old programs because to be a good neighbor means you have to be present in your neighborhood. And if you're always at church for a meeting or a small group or the kids ministry or the youth group or the missions group on Saturday and then Sunday afternoon and then the church council meeting, like you could easily never be at home. And most of us don't go to church in the neighborhood where we live. And so 
first, it's about being present through relationship and just allowing yourself to know your neighbor. And then it's about finding abundance, which abundance is this idea that every person is gifted and interested in something. And if we discover their gifts and their interest, they will be much more likely to you know, be a part of our lives because we will be inviting them to do something they love. So you already mentioned that I play, I play banjo. If you ask me to be on the Turkey supper planning team, <laughs> I might begrudgingly say yes, because I'm obligated because my wife works at the church, right? <laughs> That's right. why I would say yes, but I will be miserable about it. And every week when it's Turkey supper dinner planning meeting, I'll be like, Oh, I got to go to this church meeting. Uh, okay. Well, let me, you know, work up some energy to go. Um, <laughs> versus if you ask me to come play banjo, like I'm playing a gig on Friday night at the Mulvane Public Library. Like this is not a like, you know, bands don't start their dynamic <laughs> career at the Mulvane Public Library. There'll probably be 10 people there, maybe. But they asked me to play banjo. So I was like, hell yeah, I'll come. Right. I'm there. Let's do it. Because yeah. uh, it's my it's what I love. And I'm totally going to find time to do it. And then joy is about really being authentic to who you are. And so finding that way to go and, and use those gifts gives me that inner joy that, you know, the Mulvane Public Library didn't have to work to do because they they just asked me to be who I am, my authentic self. The worst thing in the world for churches, and this happened in my ministry, I was the young, cool, hit pastor at one point. I'm not anymore. But, and, you know, in my second year at that church, the new church plant started in our town and they had like the smoke machines and the lights and the really produced worship. And my hundred year United Methodist stole, you know, church was like, we should do that. I'm like you guys, that's not who we are. That's right. not authentic to us. And when we tried to replicate it and like, it just felt like a ripoff of what was going on down the street. And it was so exhausting yeah. because it wasn't who we really were. Yeah. And so being authentic to yourself is how we produce that joy. So that's, that's a long explanation of, of to your aunt, to your question, but that gives kind of the, the full scope of why, of why we think this really works well for churches. Yeah. So, you know, Adam, just as you're talking, it just strikes me so clearly how well, part of what you're getting at is the notion of vocation, I mean, for mm-hmm. people to really know what they're called to do and be as a person in this world and, yeah. and, and how significant it is for a neighborhood to, to identify, help identify that and give credence to that calling. So, you know, even, right. you know, just any individual, the more they are known, the better they are known when they kind of discover who they are and get to show that. I mean, what a great outcome for the for just for being neighbor, you know? So. Yeah, and then what if our churches, like what if the role of the church in your community was to be that, right? Yeah. So instead of instead of your church serving the role of like we just create programs and ask people to come to us, what if your church became the community connector? And all the people in your church were these like were out trying to uncover all of these hidden gifts and talents that existed in the community and then just connecting them together so that people could use their gifts and and connect through those things that they already love. Yeah. It, it really it forces us with which we are not great at doing 
um, and I don't know if this is a Methodist thing or just a church thing, it forces us to release control, right, of a lot of what we maybe had planned for the year and give it over to whatever whatever's going on in people's, like, whatever they, they want to do. Yeah, that's that's fantastic because, it, look, two things. One, one of the other muscles we're talking about is distributing power, and that's about control. Mm-hmm. So you're naming that one, too. I think the other thing that's so significant about what you're getting at in terms of the authenticity, the joy, the abundance, the vocation stuff, is the other thing we don't do well, which is identify secrets, So you're talking about finding the hidden gem of assets. Also, it Mm -hmm. seems like real communities allow for the true stories to come out in the both the good and the bad. So people can really wrestle Mm -hmm. with them and deal with them. I mean, that's the whole biblical narrative, right? Like, here's all the crazy stuff that people did. Oh, let's let's wrestle with it and figure out how to be a community. Oh, so I just really appreciate you naming all that. It's just so fantastic. And, and having the church as yeah. being some sort of vehicle for that. Thanks for doing that. So I do want to say just one last thing. Make sure that we hear about this because it seems like such a significant project of what you're doing right now is Eight Doors, the Eight Door Project. Mm-hmm. And you're, I mean, you have your t-shirt on to prove it, um, but that's certainly <laughs> front and center at your website. And, and yeah. could you say just a little bit about what you're hoping to do with that? Yeah. So we just, you know, we're trying to figure out like, what's like that? first step that anyone could take anywhere they are. And so the the kind of image that came to mind was the eight front doors and it's it's all borrowed material. Everything in in our space is from people who've thought about this and put it and are very generous with their ideas. And so you'll find similar things. There's a book, The Art of Neighboring, that has a similar idea in it. And there's the ABCD Institute, which has a lot of more information that you can check out that we've borrowed from. But we we created this eight front door challenge, which is just the to to think about your home and imagine the eight front doors closest to you. And the challenge is to know the names of the people who live in those homes. And so that might be in, a, you know, an urban setting like mine that's on a, a block and we all have single family homes. It may be in an apartment complex. It may be out in a rural community. And we've got tips for these different contexts if, if it's helpful of how to do that because it is different in each of them. But it just gives every person, no matter where you are, this opportunity to do that. We are doing it kind of in an expansive way in our own neighborhood this summer. We have high school students who have we've hired to be a neighborhood listening team and they're going out and every week we knock on 400 plus doors in our neighborhood mm-hmm. and we've handed them all a block map, which is a magnet that they can put on their refrigerator and it has eight blocks on it. And then they put, you know, fill that out and add names of the neighbors that they meet. And we're trying to get all the neighbors in our neighborhood to participate in this in some way. And we actually are doing some research alongside that because we want to discover, we have a theory and it's been studied in some ways, but we have a theory of, of if you increase neighbor to neighbor relationships in a community, that it strengthens the community in some pretty like important ways. And mm-hmm. so we're researching that right now as well with uh, Wichita State University, our local university here is leading that 
that part of it. And so they're doing community perceived safety, quality of life, and civic engagement. And mm. see if if we just just all we're doing is increasing neighbor to neighbor relationships. Yeah. And we think that it will increase people's ability to participate in their community in these ways. And so yeah. I'm excited to see what that turns out. And every week, this is where I, the point of this was that every week these high schoolers go out and they come back and their eyes just keep getting bigger <laughs> about how neighbors want to do this. Like every week they go out and they, they'll be out for an hour and a half or two hours and they'll have 15 conversations with people who, who answered their door, talked to them and said, yeah, I'd be willing to participate. Yeah. Like this is again, I just want to keep reiterating to people, like people do want it and you, it's easy to focus on all the folks who don't open their doors or who don't want to do it. And those people are definitely out there and just go to the next door. You'll find, you'll find somebody and, and they, they, they'll be interested. And so, and the, every connection matters so much. Um, and, you know, we, we, some of the other things that, that we have found from this is that it, neighbors are able to stay in their homes longer when they're older because they know a neighbor. Right. We, you know, people, it re- reduces domestic violence. It increases people's ability to get jobs because they have social connections that matter. Mm. One of our high school students knocked on the door and met the manager of a restaurant here in town. And this, this high schooler is, is leading a block party on that block. And that manager now is like, if you want a job, you let me know because you have it. Like he's clearly shown the initiative and he knows how to pull this off. And it's just, I mean, those kind of things are what neighboring can do that we think it's just meeting your neighbor. And then it's actually all this other stuff. It's economic development. It's safety. It's, it's all of these ways that it impacts our community and builds the social fabric. And so we, the eight front door project is just a way to encourage each person anywhere you are to think of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a great description. And I'm just really glad that you had those stories from those uh, teenagers that they're just, what a, what a great experience. And, you know, and always we talk about how affecting change in a generation younger than us has more, you know, mm-hmm. sort of sustainability than trying to change old dogs with bad habits and all that kind of thing. So <laughs> I never can remember right. all those pithy <laughs> phrases, but uh, I get near them. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Adam, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really inspirational just to think all I have to do is step outside my house and knock on a door, you know? And I think yeah. Jesus even said something yeah. about that. Behold, I stand at the eight doors and knock. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so, that's right. You know, send me that scripture because I was I could use that later. So <laughs> I think it's first Thessalonicles somewhere in there. So <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> but Adam, thanks and best of luck and really just thank you for the encouragement just to to take the first step and to meet a neighbor. Yeah, absolutely. You bet. Thanks. Igniting Imagination is a production of the leadership ministry team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.